It's a topic no one likes to think about, but one that is certainly a reality in the Indian River School District. That topic is homelessness and homeless students. For the 2019-2020 school year, the district has identified approximately 80 students who are homeless or, to use the official term, are in transition. This represents an increase of more than 20 students from last school year. Federal law requires that homeless students have equal access to the same free public education as other students. In the Indian River School District, the responsibility of complying with that law falls to Walt Smith, our supervisor of alternative programs. Last week, I had the opportunity to sit down with Walt to discuss the issue of homelessness in our district and the challenges involved in serving students who are in transition. My interview with Walt is coming up right after the break. I'm Dave Mall, and this is the IRSD Spotlight. I'm here now with uh, Walt Smith, the uh, Supervisor of Alternative Programs for the Indian River School District. Walt, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> this is a topic I've wanted to explore on the podcast for a long time, so I really appreciate you being here today to talk about it. Um, and that's the topic of uh, homeless students within our, within our school district. And I think one of the more interesting aspects of it, let's start in a simple way here. And what is the definition of a homeless student? Because I found this very interesting. Well, to tell you the truth, it's, it's a little confusing for some of the parents as well. Um, so it's an easy definition. Um, it starts off, and it, it's a federal regulation, and it starts off uh, who lacks a fixed, regular, and adequate nighttime residence. And it goes on to define what's fixed and what's regular and what's adequate. So then we can go into uh, looking at, you know, what constitutes some of those uh, areas sharing housing with another person due to lack of housing or economic hardship where you suffered loss of a job, living in motel, hotel, trailer parks, or camping grounds due to lack of alternative adequate accommodations, uh, living in emergency or transitional shelters, living in parked cars, public space, abandoned buildings, substandard housing, such as bus or train stations, things of that nature. Yeah. I think what's interesting about that definition is, and I think this is a perception type thing when people think about, about a homeless student, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're living on the street or something like that. I mean, I think that's what's more interesting. They, they could have housing. It's not stable, I guess. Is that is that safe to say? That is correct. Yeah. I, and I, a lot of times, you know, if you're going to get a parent or a student to talk about their current situation, a lot of times, you know, we try to stay away from the, the homeless part of it because a lot of people look at that in a negative way and, you know, saying, I'm not part of being homeless. You know, my kids are okay. Um, so we kind of say in transition, you know, family in transition, you know, anybody can be in transition and, you know, it's a little, puts a little better spin on things. Yeah, so that's sort of the official term then, like in, in transition. In transition, yeah. that is correct. Now, there 
are, however, there are instances though where where a family may be living in a, a campground or a, a vehicle or something along those lines. You've you've seen that as well, correct? That is correct. And and again, uh, those are the type of things that we don't like to see, but uh, do they exist in our communities as well? I mean, yes, they do. And again, you know. Um, those are hard conversations to have with a, a, a parent. You know, a parent, you know, they feel like they're down on their luck and, and, you know, things aren't going well for them. And the one thing they don't want, want to talk about is, you know, where they're living at. You know, and again, those are tough conversations that uh, we must have in order to, you know, to give them the, the help that they need, that yeah. they desperately need, to be honest with you. Can you give us an estimate about how many homeless students we have in the in the in the Indian River School District currently? Well, uh, I can tell you that we're up from last year, um, and um, I think uh, last year this time we were talking probably around sixty students. Um, this year uh, we're looking at probably eighty-two. Wow. Thirty to thirty-five percent of them are in hotel motels. Ten uh, percent are in shelters. 45% are double house, and 5 to 10% are in category other, meaning that uh, they could be living in tents, cars, and, and, and things of that, and, and which is it's almost even frightening to even say that we have those things going on in our communities and, and those kids coming to school. And a lot of times, you know, the, the lack thereof, you know, with identifying uh, these kids because, you know, uh, their unwillingness to talk about their current living situation is some kind, sometimes uh, disheartening for us, you know, uh, because, you know, the only way we're going to find out is if a kid tells us or a parent shared their, their story with us. Yeah, and, and in your job, it, it, that's got to be tough to hear, you know, a, a kid or a parent talk about, you know, living in a situation like that. Absolutely. I, I mean, because you, you see some of the, the parents and their families uh, at their lowest point. Certainly, you know, we, we try to provide a, a type of support that, you know, we, we don't understand or, you, you know, we don't know how it feels to be in your current situation. However, we're here for you. And I think that reassurance that they know that we're going to rally behind them and try to link them up with the necessary resources to get them uh, back on their feet, I think is reassuring for the families. Now, how do we identify students that are in transition? How do we come to, to find out what their situation is? Well, I'll tell you what, I think we have really done a full circle probably over the last five years with DOE uh, making uh, it mandatory for uh, training. During that training, we don't only focus on the teaching staff. We go as far as the nurses, your school bus drivers, your cafeteria worker, your custodian, anybody that comes in contact with that child. Because, see, there's always signs that, you know, a kid can give off. Um, certainly, we know the embarrassment that comes along with their current situation. Um, so, again, a lot of times you're not going to see that. But if you see a kid always having their head down, sleeping, or um, get on the school bus and him or her not properly dressed or they had the same clothing on that they had on the day before you know those are clues and those are signs that maybe everything is not going on all right so again what we've done a, a, a better job as too we have put a liaison in every school uh, within our 16 schools uh, in this district and that's a person that's certified and trained 
to be able to ask those questions to get that parent to open up or that kid to open up and to be able to tell their story so that we can get them the help that they need. Is it possible that maybe there are some students that are in transition now that we might not even know about? Is, that, is that possible? We, we talk about that in, in various meetings that we have at the DOE level. And certainly um, we know that there's probably a percentage of kids that go um, undetected and, and unknown to us as their current living situation. Uh, we always look at that to be probably anywhere from 20 to 30 percent of our population. Wow. Wow. What are some of the causes of homelessness in, in, the, in our school district? Well, I can tell you that what has really hurt us over the years, and, and we can look back probably the last two or three years, look at our housing situation. Uh, look at the developing. Our developers now are, are not building affordable housing, especially in uh, our neck of the woods. And, and I'll let me talk about the, the south versus our north uh, part of our district. Uh, affordable housing is, is unheard of. Um, so what that is is causing uh, imbalance in uh, the growth in our school uh, to for kids to migrate and their families to migrate in the north part of our district and, and where we're seeing the overcrowding, which has really hurt us. Um, so again, you know, we've had a meeting with uh, Senator Carper, you know, to identify these things that are going on in our county, especially um, lack of resources. And but the leading that charge is affordable housing. As a school district, uh, what are what are the biggest challenges we face in serving students that are that are in transition? Well, we've always talked about attendance and transportation. Again, the transportation part of it has been taken care of by the state. You know, uh, right now it's a 90-10 split. Uh, if we have to transport a, a student from another district uh, into ours, um, so we still have a burden of that cost, and, and which leaves us at 10%, uh, which the state takes 90. But again, attendance we always looked at. You know, a kid is always feeling a type of way when they don't know where they're going to sleep from night to night. And not only that, though, we know there's a certain amount of stressors that goes on with a kid that's in transition. And we try to build in the supports. We also have them uh, talk to counselors. And also we also set up, um, because we also look at academics as a part of that, component of being uh, in transition. Uh, so we've set up tutoring uh, that kids can um, get uh, weekly. So again, I think leading that charge would be attendance and transportation. Trans just the logistics of transportation sound challenging. I've heard you talk about this before. I mean, getting getting kids here, getting them home, is that just... You've mentioned the funding, but are the logistics of it a, a, an issue, too, that you have to it's, deal with? It's a nightmare, to be honest <laughs> with you, uh, because uh, we have uh, brought in kids as far as Wilmington, Newark area, Dover, uh, even Salisbury. Uh, what we have done over the years, I think probably last five years, we develop an MOU with Wacomico County, which means that if we have a kid that's living in the Salisbury area, they'll bring the kid out to the Delaware line, uh, which we don't incur any costs there, um, and vice versa. That's what they do. Well, that's what we do exactly the same thing for them uh, when they have a kid living in our area, in our tennis area. So, again, that has worked out well for us. Um, 
again, it is hard to, to work out the logistics with uh, being on the same time and, and, and trying to coordinate those efforts, uh, making sure a kid gets to his or her school, you know, in a reasonable amount of time. You know, like if school starts at 730, we definitely try to have them in their seat by 740, yeah. you know. And I think you, you mentioned academics earlier, and I think this is something that you know maybe we didn't touch on already. But you know, even though a, a kid's maybe a transition and their and their residence may be unstable, we still try to, you know, it's still our goal and still our mission to make them successful in the classroom. Correct. That is correct. Um, I think we became we have become extremely flexible, and making sure those things work. And again. That's having all the stakeholders involved uh, in this particular kid's academics effort efforts, um, because again, when we involve other stakeholders, then that means that we're trying to put all the supports in place to make this kid successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, you know, those are some things that we're getting better and better each year. Because when we sit down, we talk about things that we can do better. We do yeah. do better. Is, is parent involvement a challenge, too, when you're dealing with students that are in transition? What we've seen over the years, and, and what's a little frightening, is that a lot of these homes that we're looking at is single-parent homes. Mm-hmm. So whether that mother or father has to, you know, work, you know, long hours, we found it very difficult to get them into a meeting, uh, parent conferences, you know, the things of those nature uh, that we tend to be very flexible and have really been creative in scheduling our meetings around their schedule. So I think that's that's being supported, you know, throughout the district and has worked out very well for us. Is it also a challenge for homeless students to obtain the necessary clothing and school supplies also? Before <laughs> a year ago, I would say absolutely but we do partner with uh, other organization that has really helped us out but we apply for a grant a year ago um, through DOE so again when it comes to clothing and and other uh, supplies for the classroom we're ready and and I say we are equipped now to be able to handle you know what our kids basic needs are I mean we have anything from household personal hygiene type items, shampoo, conditioner, deodorant, toothbrush, toothpaste, soap, uh, lotion, moisturizer, um, hygiene packages. And we can provide these to the to the students. Absolutely. Yeah. Cokes, socks, mm-hmm. you know, things of that nature and what they would need in the classroom. Uh, what we've done as far as the elementary, middle, and high, we've kind of got a list from those schools and have packets already ready to go as soon as our kids come in. So yeah. that has uh, worked out very well for us. That, that's great. And I know you, you brought up the, the grant that we received last year. And that also, if I'm not mistaken, that grant also helped us hire a homeless liaison at the district level. Yeah. Um, and Sarah Silva is her name. And can you talk a little bit about just her responsibilities and what she does? Well, what we got, what we were lacking in our program and, and, and services that we offer our families was the follow-up mm-hmm. you know um, again like I said before we had talked about the lack of affordable housing um, I think that's what we were lacking you know trying to really link our parents up with you know trying to find affordable housing and really sitting down with them and coming up with a plan that's doable for their family 
so again we're able to do that this year that's the liaison is handling those types of things. that is correct yeah um and really going into our hotels and motels where our families are residing at this time and really setting down and, and coming up with a workable plan and a doable plan that's mm -hmm. that that can benefit their family as a whole has proven to be beneficial to us as a district as well as to the families that we serve the federal McKinney-Vento Homeless Assistance Act uh, requires that homeless students have equal access to the same free public education as other students. And one of the provisions of that act is that homeless students should receive these services without being isolated or stigmatized. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, again, we always, you know, when trying to implement a new program and even go out there and try to find best practices, we try to level the playing field. You know, so that our kids don't feel any different than the kids that are in a home without any disruption. So we know that kids coming into us are going to feel a certain amount of stress, you know, a, a, same, a certain amount of discomfort when it comes to talking t about their situation. But I can tell you that it's done in such a way that you don't know this kid from any other kid in the classroom. We, we do it in such a way that all the information that we share with the kids and their families is confidential, uh, for one, and, and that we try to do it in such a way that the kid don't feel as though that they're being treated any different than any other kid. Mm -hmm. uh, we have found that to be very, um, very helpful and them going through the current situation, you know, whether it's, it's long-term. And, and again, we've seen anywhere from uh, this could last for two weeks up to a whole calendar school year where a family continues to go through that transitional period. But we're hoping that by us uh, getting this uh, part-time person that we're going to be able to cut through some of that and be able to help these families a little bit sooner than uh, we have in the past. Mm -hmm. Is collaboration between the school district and outside service agencies and other community organizations, is that essential also uh, in providing services to students in transition? Absolutely. Uh, essential and proven to be beneficial uh, to our entire families that uh, we were actually out there helping. Over the years, uh, we know that we have limited resources. Um, and and some with some of those limited resources, you have pitfalls. But reaching out to other agencies that pretty much do a little better job than a school district can because that's what they do every single day um, has really helped us immensely. I, I can tell you that just thinking of a few, um, we look at um, Mount Air, uh, which has given us grants over the years that help our families out uh, with housing um, and things of that nature. Uh, nothing long term but something that comes up in emergency because again you know when you talk about families that get evicted or even a house far you know so those are some things that you know are out of your control and they happen just like that so to be able to help these families in a pinch has has really helped our district um, help our families so again you know we couldn't do this without other agencies I mean it's just too big of a task you know, over the years we have learned help comes from the outside. Well, it's obvious that as a district we've done a tremendous job helping these students. Is there anything else you want the want 
the public to know about you know the services that we provide to students that are in transition? Well, uh, in talking to um, Senator Carper, I, I think that you know one of the things that we try to stress is do we sometime hear the voiceless? And that answer is no. Or should we say we're not doing a good job listening? So we need to really start hearing from the very people that we aim to serve um, in order to identify the gaps, the barriers, and the strengths of the things that we do have. But I would think that opening the doors and which could lead to focusing on creating statewide housing systems that includes a mixture of interventions. And when I talk about those interventions, again, like I said before in my message, it's affordable housing, permanent supportive housing, and homeless prevention. I mean, we, we really need to have those tough conversations that a lot of people are not willing to have. Does it exist? Absolutely. Can we do more than we're doing right now? Yes, we can. The thing of it is we've got to sit down and have those tough conversations that's going to really move us forward in identifying our youth that are dealing with uh, homelessness and that this is not an Indian River School District problem. This is a state problem. Well, Walt, I appreciate you joining us today. This has been, like I said, this has been a topic I've wanted to explore on the podcast for quite a while so i appreciate you taking the time to uh to join us today thank you was glad to do it as always i want to thank walt for taking the time to offer his insights on this very important topic a couple of notes before we wrap up this episode schools will be closed for christmas break from december 23rd through january 3rd classes will resume on monday january 6th 12 month employees should report to work on december 23rd and January 2nd and 3rd. And on a sad note, former District Administrator Carmen Del Dio passed away on December 10th. Mr. Del Dio held a number of positions in his long tenure with the Indian River School District, including middle and high school principal and nutrition services supervisor. Mr. Del Dio was a much loved and respected member of the Indian River School District community. Our deepest condolences go out to his family. This is our last episode for the 2019 calendar year. On behalf of the Indian River School District, I'd like to wish everyone a safe and happy holiday season. See you in 2020. IRSD Spotlight is produced by the Indian River School District. Episodes can be accessed through iTunes or by visiting irsd.net and going to the podcast link under the Discover IRSD tab. It is also available through several mobile podcast apps by searching IRSD. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon with more great news and information from the Indian River School District. Until then, remember that Indian River truly is a model of excellence.